0: Well, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, I grew up in a church that uh, was a very staunch, uh, staunchly conservative, independent, fundamental Baptist church that um, we're all somewhat familiar with. And in that church, there are a lot of uh, amens that gets spoken. And I remember as a child, uh, there was a pew of about four guys who would always sit together and we called that the amen pew. Um, So I brought my own amen pew this morning. She is currently asleep. Um, but if she wakes up and she says, amen, uh, then glory, hallelujah. So she has been a blessing. And I told Lauren the other day, I said, uh, uh, she reminded me during labor, uh, to tell her next time she says, we want, I want another child, uh, to remind her of that moment. Um, the reminder of the pain she was in. And I told her the other day, I said, uh, well, you re- I remind you of the pain. You remind me of the lack of sleep. Um, <laughs> Uh, I love Caroline, and uh, she is now sleeping a little better, and so we appreciate her very much. Uh, She has definitely uh, been a blessing to us. Um, Today being September 11th, I would normally expect a uh, little bit more of a patriotic sermon. Um, I I could not come up with one on such short notice. I apologize for that, but I am a missionary by heart, uh, by occupation, and by conviction, and so... Um, you were going to get a missionary message. What else would you expect from a missionary other than a missions message? But well, this isn't going to be a normal one, so we're going to be looking at missions in the Old Testament in Psalm 96. The last time I was with you, uh, we discussed uh, a man named George Mueller and his faith uh, and his prayer life. And he is a, one of my one of my heroes of the faith. And today we will be looking at a little bit uh, of the same time period, a man named William Carey. He is... Um, up there in the top 10 of my favorite, favorite people in the uh, history of Christianity. And I have a lot of people in the top 10, probably about 25 or so. Um, There, there are several. And uh, if you, if if nothing else, I would like to inspire you to uh, research a little bit of the men who have gone before us outside of scripture Uh, Yes, we should know scripture and we should know the life of Paul and the life of Stephen and Timothy and so on and so forth. But there is much to be learned from great men of faith who lived uh, tremendous lives. And there's much to be learned about our faith and dedication to the Lord. And so with William Carey, he uh, grew up in a rural village in the middle of England in the late 1700s. He apprenticed at a cobbler shop, uh, not making peach cobblers, but rather shoes. And uh, he was converted and developed a love for the study of God's word. Um, I would like to say that I am as serious as him, but I am not. He taught himself New Testament Greek from a borrowed Greek grammar. And then he later, later self-taught, him, uh, self-taught Hebrew and Latin. Um, impressive, impressive mind. Some, a mind that I do not have, as uh, I have experienced recently in seminary. And uh, he married... A, he married and uh, after a difficult time of poverty, living in poverty for a long time, uh, they experienced the loss of a child and it was the loss of the child and finding solace in God's word that drove him to become a preacher with a particular Baptist. However, after several years of preaching with a particular Baptist and being a pastor of his church, uh, he became dis- uh, uh, dissuaded by his peers and their lack of interest in foreign missions. Uh, they'd had, they placed a low value on overseas missions and during a meeting of uh, the Baptist leaders at the time, he began to argue, stand up and argue for, um, for the importance of missions, for the importance of sending out foreign missionaries. Foreign missions at this time in England was not heard of. It uh, was a, a, not a priority. And one man, an old minister, stood up and he famously said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting you or me. God can save the heathen without our help. He can. But he chooses to use us as his mouthpiece. And whether you are going to, uh, like Lauren and I, have planning within 1st of November to be moving to the Dominican Republic, or you work with TVR uh, or Transworld Radio, or you are just a person who has neighbors Uh, We are all called to serve the Lord in this concept of missions. I'm sure each one of us can think through our family members and find at least one family member who we know is lost. Um, I can count several. And I pray that at the end of this message today, we will be renewed with a vigor for reaching the lost around us. So let's pray. Gracious Lord and Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Psalm 96 And how it challenges me with your desire to receive worship from the nations. Father, I pray that we will submit ourselves before you and open our hearts to the receiving of your word. And Lord, that we will be changed thereby. We ask these things in the name of the glorious Jesus Christ. Amen. So Psalm 96 is uh, placed in a collection of Psalms. Psalm 95 to 99, it's uh, similarly themed. And uh, in this psalm, uh, it is uh, focused on the kingship. in this section is focused on the kingship of God. And uh, in this psalm, the psalmist calls all the earth to declare Yahweh 's excellence, and uh, he encourages the nation of Israel to tell the surrounding nations and in the entire created world of yahweh 's worthiness, and then that will draw them to the true worship of God. This psalm concludes with showing. Uh, or describing the earth's joyous anticipation of Yahweh's uh, rule being fully established over everything. That is essentially the gospel message. God has chosen, he chose the nation of Israel, thereby to reveal himself, and uh, to reveal himself to the world, and he sent Jesus Christ to redeem us, and as we accept Jesus Christ, we further, we have a responsibility to share the gospel with the nations, and we anticipate the future reign of Christ. That is that is the Bible in a in a uh, thirty second nutshell, and so we see, start off here with God's focus on. Uh, I'm Sorry, I forgot to turn this on. I apologize, Matt. I almost got uh, spoke evil of you, um, but it was my fault. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sound men get a bad rap. They are they they keep the they keep the voice uh, of the preacher heard. So uh, we start off with God's desire to receive praise from the nations, um, and we've. We see this in Psalm ninety six verses one through three. Psalmist here writes, he says, O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, and tell of his salvation from day to day. Now, in the Old Testament, um, it is often confused in thinking that God is uh, inclusive and that he only cares about the nation of Israel, but I would argue different. God, from the very beginning, was concerned with receiving praise from the nations, with having the nations sing unto him and declare, uh, declare and give him glory. And God here is telling the nation of Israel, he says, sing to the Lord a new song, sing and bless his name, declare his name among the nations. That is the exact same message that we have, declare the name of of Jesus Christ among the nations, and I would argue that Psalm 96 is perhaps the most missions minded passage of not just the Old Testament but of the entire scripture. It gives us the heart of God towards missions. God desires that we declare His glory among the nations. There is a lot of glory to be declared. There's a little, little girl right there that uh, is evidence of God's glory. There is a salvation in my heart that is evidence of God's glory. There are answered prayers all around us. There is a creation that we can look and see. You can go and stand at the Grand Canyon and declare the glory of God. There is plenty of glory to be declared. And so from the beginning of redemptive history, God has continued to reveal his desire to be worshipped. We start off and we see in the Abrahamic covenant, says, "...in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." And that it says, from your seed, talking to Abraham, God God is making this uh, covenant with Abraham. From your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That is Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, all the families of the earth are blessed. They have the opportunity to receive salvation. And then also, furthermore, um, uh, hang on. All right, here we go. This is is brand new to me. We're using PowerPoint for the first time in a sermon. Uh, This is a major step for the church. and I'm glad to be ushering this in. So Isaiah 45, uh, there's a section of Isaiah 40 through 49 where it ta- talks about this preacher um, and the redemption of Israel, bringing, drawing Israel back and making Israel light to the nations and talks about uh, the superiority of God over all of the uh, minor gods, all the, all the gods who were made with earthen hands. And in this, the Lord says, I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you. Though you do not know me, the people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. We would expect to see that the people of the Lord rise from the rising of the sun to the setting of the, to the west. Uh, we would expect to find that in a New Testament passage. We would expect to find that in a passage that is giving the Great Commission. Rather, we find it in the Old Testament. Isaiah 49 as well um, Isaiah 49, verse 6 says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The true light of the Gentiles, the true light is Jesus Christ, and we as Christians bear that light to bring the salvation to the ends of the earth. Now consider with me also Romans 15, 8 through 12. It's a small print, and you may have to pull your binoculars out to see it, but I will read it nonetheless. It says, For I tell you that Jesus Christ came or became a servant to the circumcised to show God's faithfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in the order that the Gentiles might, be glor- might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, and even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. This is Paul quoting, talking about Jesus Christ, talking about the the need for the gospel. He is quoting the Old Testament. This is not something new. This is not something that God created when he gave the Great Commission to the disciples. This is not something that he decided, said, you know what? I'm going to do this thing called the church, and I'm going to let everybody be in- involved in it. No, this was his plan from the beginning. I don't think that we have a single native or um, uh, a, uh, a national Jew in the audience today. If we do, raise your hand. Uh, so therefore, we are all Gentiles. Every single one of us are Gentiles. Every single one of us are non-Jews, and we are receiving the gospel because of God's purpose from the very beginning. This is not some second idea that he had. This is something he has planned for us. And so, therefore, I want to communicate to you that our goal of preaching the gospel to the unsaved, to the lost, is God's plan for us. God's plan for us as Christians is to bring glory to him. That is a first and foremost purpose that we have. And the way that we do that most effectively is by sharing our faith. Consider the quote from Piper. John Piper in the the book called Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, perhaps the most quintessential work on missions, he states, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Let that sink in for a moment. God desires to receive worship from all nations, and we will see that in this next section. God desires to receive uh, the praise and the, the glory from every single nation, and we will see that one day. If you look at Revelation chapter 5, you see all nations coming before him, every tribe, tongue, nation, language, and coming before him and worshiping him. Same thing in the new heavens and new earth. The is for healing of the nations in the new heavens and new earth. And we will not see true worship until that day. But currently, our goal is, to, call, is to, to urge, to beg for the nations, to plead for the nations, to plead for the lost, the unsaved around us, to ascribe worship to the Lord. God's desire is to receive worship from all peoples, and our worship... Our efforts reflect that. And we should be seeking to bring as many of the nations into relationship with Christ as possible. Now, second, we see God's superiority over the gods of the nations uh, in chapter, or chapter 96, verses 4 through 6. Let's read. It says, For God is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, But the Lord made the heavens in splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Pause for a second. Let's jump over to Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verse 4. I'll give you a few moments. The psalmist here writes... Says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. For those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Talking about the gods of this world, talking about the idols. And I think that uh, we are experiencing a different type of idol it's easy for us to go to the chinese restaurant and see the little symbol of the little cat with its hand moving i think we've all seen one of those and know and say oh wow that's an idol it's uh it's something that this person is worshiping or see a little statue of buddha or we see if you go to some japanese restaurants you'll see a little um like it looks like a little house hanging on a wall a miniaturized house and that is the place for the spirit of their ancestors to dwell we can see these things and we can recognize immediately say oh that's an idol and we can talk about how Jesus Christ and God is superior above all idols, but I think that we are guilty and that uh, the church in general is guilty of what I call practical atheism. And that is, and that is essentially that uh, uh, what is deadly to the church is when the external forms of religion are maintained. We have this form of religion, but the substance, the substance of a religion is discarded. And we call this practical atheism. Practical atheism appears when we live as if there is no God. We come to church on Sundays and we worship him. And uh, we, we put on this front and we put on this, this uh, Christian suit suit. Uh, this it's almost like a like a space suit we put on this Christian suit and we come to church and we're 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 interacting with fellow Christians and then we go home and we live as this there is no God we live uh, the rest of the six days of the week as if Sunday is uh, just something that we do. And I think that this is a plague that is plagued to the church and perhaps one of the reasons why the the church is losing teenagers to going off to college at such an alarming rate. As they go off to college, they get introduced to all these heretical ideas of uh, uh, science trumping the Bible, of God not existing, and challenged to think in ways that they never were before because they were not taught and they did not see it in the lives of their parents. And so therefore, they walk away from the Lord. And I think that the battle... For missions, amen, I hear that sister. I think that the battle for missions begins in the hearts of the believers and it begins in the hearts of the believers, giving God the superiority that he deserves, placing God on the pedestal that he deserves that only he deserves, and we can take all these other things and set them up there and knock God off and put him to a smaller, but eventually. Things are going to come to a head, and we are, we are going to look back on our lives and realize that we have wasted an amazing opportunity to give God the glory that he truly deserves. Psalm 96, he says, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and to be feared above all gods. And we know these things, and we hear these things, but I wonder how often and how much they sink in. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. If we truly grasp this, then the, our lips will be filled, it, just pouring out of us like, a, like the Niagara Falls pouring, pouring down. Praises for the Lord praises and as people see that and people see our love for the lord and people see our passion for how great and mighty he is and how how sup- how far superior he is to all other gods how far superior he is to all other forms of thought all other whether it's atheism or humanism or whatever it may be whatever type of uh, religion somebody is taking for and taking and holding on to they will see that that we love and serve this god who is so far superior to that And it will be continually on our lips and we will be continually sharing it. And so I ask you, when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When was the last time you urged someone and said, the God God that you are serving, the God of yourself, or whether it's the God of uh, Islam or the God of Hinduism or the God of uh, atheism, the God you are serving is not the true God. Come and worship, ascribe glory to the one true God. When was the last time we did that? If we truly grasp this, then I believe that the church will look drastically different than it does today. I think that we will have a major shift in priorities. Today, men have declared autonomy from God. Men have uh, decided to... They have reason and believe autonomously from God. And the trouble that Christians get into when we are witnessing with people is that we are trying to reason and we're trying to argue from within their worldview instead of holding to the Word of God and saying, This is truth. This is truth. All other gods are false. All other worldviews are false. This is truth. Instead, we step off of it and we try to, whoa, I almost stepped off of this platform. We, instead, we step off of it, and we try to argue from the perspective, and we say, somebody says, oh, I don't believe that the Bible is true, or, oh, I believe that Paul is a sexist, and so therefore, I just discard everything that he has to say, and we go, oh, okay, so you don't believe that, so I'm not going to use the Bible when I talk to you. I'm going to try to win you to the Lord without using the Word of God. That is impossible. You cannot win someone to the Lord. You cannot uh, bring someone into understanding and ascribing glory to the Lord without using the Word of God. It is impossible. And so, as man by the name of Cornelius Van Til, perhaps the, most, the greatest apologist of our time, one of, an amazing thinker, he made the statement, he said, it is true that no method of argument for Christianity will be acceptable to the natural man. Moreover, it is true that the more consistently biblical our methodology, the less acceptable it will be to the natural man. If we are truly preaching the word of God, that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, not just that, because Jesus Christ died because you are so rotten, because you, in and of yourself, you deserve hell. That's the reason why Jesus Christ had to die, to rescue you. That is one of the most offensive messages that an unsaved person can hear, that you have rebelled against God, that you are are deserving hell. I mean, who wants to hear that? Nobody. And the more consistently biblical our message is, and the more consistently biblical our methodology is, the less, the less uh, appealing it will be to the natural man. But you know what? There is something else going on here. Jesus Christ has promised us that his spirit is working in the souls. It says, unless my father draws them, God is, God is drawing men to himself. And if we step off of the word of God and we water down the gospel message and we water down and we take away this idea of sin, the, the sin nature, of uh, man, we take away the idea that all men are rebellious against God, and we say, you know what? Uh, just, just believe in Jesus. That's all that matters. Just believe in Jesus. is all that matters. No, the entire word of God is what matters. We cannot step away from it. You have to stand on it. If you, if you, if you step off and you remove sections and portions, then you have corrupted your foundation, and you will fall. Your message will fall dead on the ears of the lost. So I challenge you, be consistently biblical, preach the glory of the Lord and the superiority of God over the nation's gods. William Carey did this. In 1792, he organized a mission society. Within a year of organizing that mission society, being spurred on by the uh, lack of desire for missions from his fellow men, Uh, within a year, him and his family, which included three boys and a child on the way, were on a ship headed for India. Through... uh, Many hardships, such as the loss of a child, loss of his wife, within the first year of his ministry, he was left abandoned by his coworker, and he is in India by himself in 1792 uh, with uh, two children, um, and he endured incredible hardship. And it would have been an understandable; Every, nobody would have would have uh, condemned him for coming home. Instead, he stuck it out, and uh, he did not see his first convert until eight years into his ministry eight years into his ministry, and we give up like that. Eight years. Think about that. Carrie's first priority was Bible translation, and he knew that without the word of God in the language of the people, all of his efforts would be in vain. And you know, we have a witnessing tool that is amazing and perhaps the greatest witnessing tool we have is our own personal testimony. But if that personal testimony is fluffy and it is filled with air and it is, doesn't have substance to it, it is not soaked with the word of God saying, "I recognize I was a sinner. I this this verse convicted me. This is where God showed me in his word that I needed to repent." If our if our testimony is just simple fluff and it's at the end of it, it's just, "Oh, come to Jesus." Then our, we have lost the power of that testimony. We, need, we have an opportunity to share the greatest message that, that can ever be shared, uh, and I pray that we will take advantage of it. Of the reasons that people give for not sharing their faith, the top two are fear, fear of man and the knowledge, saying, I don't know enough. And it's easy to be afraid of rejection. I encourage you, um, being rejected pales in comparison to my lost cousin spending eternity in hell. Being, being re- ridiculed or being made fun of by a coworker pales in etern- or pales in comparison to eternity. And then if you say, I don't have enough knowledge, there are plenty of resources. Come see me. I'll get you hooked up with one. There, there's, there are ample resources. And the, the, the excuse of not having enough knowledge is simple that uh, we don't have enough desire to go and study on our own. That's essentially what that is saying. And so please, I beg of you, um, if you are, have, have one of these two fears, I mean, pray through and let the, let the Lord help you conquer this. So we see the Lord is superior over all the nations and all the gods. And finally, we have God's message to the nations. God is drawing people to worship. And this is verses 7 through 13. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth. Uh, ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory Do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall, not be, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the nations be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. God is drawing people to himself to worship. And our message should be to submit before the Lord in repentance. Verse 7 through 8 says, Ascribe to the Lord the worship that is due to him. Ascribe all the peoples of the world. Come and bring an offering into his house. Worship in verse 9. But you see the last part of verse 9 it says, Tremble before him. We, we tell people, say, uh, you, just, you just come to Jesus and that's all that matters. And yes, we, we, we should come to Jesus where there is an aspect and an element of our gospel message that has been missing. And that is repent. Repent of your sin. Turn to Christ to be saved. Not just come to Jesus. And uh, if you don't believe me, go and look at Jesus Christ's message himself. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, the first message that Jesus Christ preached is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it is filled from there on throughout the entire message of his, of his ministry. And then you look in Acts and Peter and Paul and all of them are saying repent and turn to Christ for salvation. And now we come to it and we say, oh, just believe in Jesus. There is much more than just belief. Turn from your sin, repent, tremble before him, have fear before this holy Lord, recognizing that you have offended this God and come before him, submit before him, and beg for him to save you, and he will save you. The message is great, and we water it down. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And the Lord gives us a specific message. Verse 10, He says, Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Do we preach the Lord reigns? Or do we preach that God is just another God? He's a little better than the other ones. But uh, as long as you have faith in something, that's all that matters. Where do we preach that the Lord reigns? The knowledge of impending judgment should drive our passion for declaring his salvation from day to day. Paul says, uh, He says, knowing the terror of the Lord, he uses the word terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And of what do we persuade men? We are to persuade men that their understanding of the world is bankrupt. That their understanding of, uh, of what is true is bankrupt. And that the only truth they can find is in God's word. And that they are to turn to Christ for salvation. I think of uh, an illustration that uh, I have heard several times and used in different ways. Um, and this uh, illustration was first found in a 1939 comic strip. Uh, it was... Uh, it was uh, it's been preached oftentimes as being, as being fact. It is not fact. Some of you may have heard this as a joke or something, but it is not fact. It is a fiction, and it, is, it was actually uh, written in a magazine in 1989 as a, an actual transcription between a ship or two ships uh, of the United States Navy, and uh, it's been told several times, and so as, uh, as we get into this, uh, keep that in mind, but there is a lot of truth to this statement or to this story. So there's a ship in the fog of the night, he, uh, the, ship is, the ship is heading towards another ship, sees the lights, lights of the ship on the distance, and uh, calls out to the ship. And the, this uh, ship says, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. And then the other comes, comes over the radio and says, we recommend that you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The ship, the captain says, this is the captain of a a Royal Navy ship. I again urge you to divert your course 15 degrees to the north. And the responding back over the radio says, no, I say again, you divert your course and the captain, getting a little angry at this time, says this is the air, an aircraft carrier of the Royal Navy. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees to the north. That's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be, taken to under, to, will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Responds back over the radio. This is a lighthouse. Your call. And you know, I think that, I think that oftentimes, um, we standing in the lighthouse don't warn people of the impending danger that is that they are approaching. I think oftentimes we we hear the we see uh, the cries of the people as they say, "There's got to be more to life than this," and we say, "And we we say, yeah, there probably is." And uh, or we hear the, the heart cries of people as uh, they are going through struggles and not finding hope, not finding comfort. Uh, as, you, as you get in, you start talking to your unsaved neighbors, as you talk to your unsaved co-workers, and you have, uh, are at your family reunions, and you see the brokenness of their, the lives of your unsaved family members. It is truly broken and bankrupt. And we as the lighthouse stand back and say nothing. People of this world, people apart from Christ, are just like this ship, thinking that everything, they have it all planned out. They have it, and they are heading in the correct direction, and uh, not knowing that they are heading towards judgment. Not knowing that they are heading towards the rocks of the cliff that are going to destroy them. And I pray that uh, as we consider this, that we will be challenged to serve the Lord through sharing the gospel. William Carey, he served the Lord in India for 41 years without a furlough, and he led over 700 people to the Lord. That's amazing. However, perhaps the greatest contribution he has made to the history of Christianity was in a sermon that he preached before he ever left for India, and it's called, Expect Great Things from God, Attempt Great Things for God. Carey truly lived by these words, and as a result, he was the catalyst that sparked a worldwide missions movement from the early 1800s extending to today. My wife and I are a product of William Carey. And his devotion inspired the missionaries of Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, and David Livingston. As they heard this message, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And as a result, thousands upon thousands of others. And I encourage you, let's take a note from William Carey's playbook. Let's take a page out of that and apply it to our lives. William Carey knew how great our God is and he expected great things from God and so he steps out on faith, he opens his mouth, he shares the gospel, he goes to a a country that I can't even imagine living in, spends 41 years there apart from family, any friends, translating the word of God and preaching and seeing 700 people saved. But not only that, William Carey sparked the modern missions movement. And I encourage you, uh, you may not think it's great. You may not think that, oh, what I'm doing is going to have an impact on the eternal scale of things. But I encourage you, it does. And the reason why I say it does is because I know that if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And thus by the Holy Spirit, you have the power of God resting in your soul. And when you share the message of how God has changed your life through his word, you are sharing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Attempt great things for God, or expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I encourage you, family. um, I pray that you will be involved in this process of calling the nations to worship the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Father, I thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, it is challenging and it is humbling. Lord, I thank you that you have given us your spirit so that we can understand it. Father, I pray that we will not uh, be the fool who looks in the mirror and sees an imperfection and walks away unchanged, but rather, Lord, we will look in the mirror of your word and see how much we need to change, and we will take action. Father, I pray that we will submit before you and uh, we will worship and serve you as we urge those around us to, suscribe, to ascribe worship to your name. Father, we place uh, this time in your hands, and Lord, we ask that you will continually change us into your image. And Father, we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face
1: to shine upon you and give you his peace through Jesus our Lord. Dave, would you lead us, please? Absolutely. Before I pray, I'll just say quickly, if there's anybody here that does not have a Bible, we'd love to be able to give you one. And so I'll be in the back uh, after I pray and, and can make sure that you, you get a Bible. Let's pray. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, thousand nine hundred. And 76 people from 93 nations lost their lives in New York, at the Pentagon, and on flight 93. Today, 15 years later, we pause to remember that moment of horror and pray for those left scarred by these terrible events. We remember the way our thoughts and prayers were with those families who lost loved ones. And our thoughts and prayers are with them again today. God of comfort, may your love and peace endure. Father, you are the God of healing and the God of hope. You are the God of forgiveness and God forevermore. You are the God of redemption and the God of restoration. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, for our sins. It's because of what he did there that we have salvation in you. Lord, we thank you today for bringing Billy and Millie Merritt to become members of the Wake Chapel family. May they find us to be a loving and supportive church. Lord, we also pray today for our mission of the week, Fellowship International's mission. We pray for John and Marilyn Asma serving in Ghana, West Africa. We pray for them to be effective and encouraged as they minister to Ghanaians and disciple new believers there. Father, as we leave this place today, help us to remember to make the most of the opportunities that you give us this week. Help us not to to be practical atheists. Instead, help us to live out our lives as authentic, obedient, and loving followers of Jesus so that others may see Christ living in and through us. And it's in his name I pray, amen.